The Orioles' starting outfield seems to be pretty well set at this point, but there's at least one spot and maybe two up for grabs and a lot of outfielders competing for it. Will it be one of the young guys like Kerstad or Kowser or one of the veterans like Hilliard or McKenna? Or is Jorge Mateo now a center fielder? We'll talk about that coming up on our Orioles Outfield Preview. That's on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Friday, February 23rd, 2024. And welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we are finishing off our four-part Orioles roster preview series as we take a look at the outfield in big league camp on today's episode. Talk about the outfielders I'm projecting to make the roster who is on the bubble. There's actually a big outfield bubble heading into camp. And if there are any outfield prospects who are maybe not on the 40-man right now, but could make an impact at some point in 2024. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers can join today and you'll get $150 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started today. So we're going to jump into the outfield preview today. We've already done starting pitching. We've already done relief pitching. And earlier this week, we did the infield as well. And that's where I want to begin here because you can't really do one without the other. It's very similar to the starting pitching and the relieving, but maybe even more so with infielders and outfielders. You got to kind of set up, okay, these are the infielders I think will make the team. And these are the number of infielders I think will make the team before you pivot to the outfielders. And there are 13 hitter spots on the opening day roster. And I went with nine infielders, essentially, as long as you're counting the catchers as infielders. Of course, I had Adley Rutschman and James McCann as my projected two catchers for the Orioles, Ryan Mountcastle and Ryan O'Hearn at first base. And then in the rest of the infield, I took Gunnar Henderson. I took Jordan Westberg. I took Ramon Arias. I took Jorge Mateo. And then I also took Jackson Holiday in that group as well to round it out. And I just said, I'm right on the fence here. I basically was like, I'm 51% right now that Jackson Holiday will be on the Orioles opening day roster. But I had the caveat that for the Orioles to carry that extra infielder and put Holiday on that roster, they have to be confident that Jorge Mateo can play the outfield. And he's going to do it a lot in spring training. He said he's been working on it five days a week this offseason, and he also played 20 innings in center field for the Orioles last season. It's something they already kind of had in the works when Mullins and Hicks were injured late last year. And here's the thing. If we are going off of that assumption that Mateo can play the outfield enough to make the team as the super utility, yes, he'll play short, he can play some second, he can play all three outfield positions, but specifically left and center field at Camden Yards, and he's a right-handed hitter to go along with Mullins in left field, then the Orioles from that assumption, would have four outfield spots, true outfield spots, for the opening day roster. And so let's start with who I would project to be those four outfielders to make the team. And I think, as I said in the open, there are three that are pretty easy choices here. The first is Anthony Santander. Now, there were a lot of worries about 
Would the Orioles trade Santander this offseason? He becomes a free agent after this year. He is due to make about $12 million this season after arbitration. Before the Kimbrel and Burns pickups, he would have been the highest paid Oriole. And before John Angelos agreed to sell the team, we were worried that Angelos didn't want to play pay a player that much. With him being an impending free agent, the Orioles maybe not looking to extend Anthony Santander, that they would look to deal him and pick up some value. Now, I'm not saying it couldn't still happen before opening day, like we still have a month. But it seems unlikely that he got to camp and then the Orioles would deal him. Now, when I talk about projections on these episodes, I go with the Zips projections. They're done by Dan Simborski at Fangraphs, Dan, who is also an Orioles fan. And I do the Zips depth chart projections because they not only take a look at a player's body of work, his past performance, his future predictions, but it also takes a look at the roster around the player and that kind of evens out, okay, how many plate appearances, how many games do we think this player will get, depending on who the other players are. That's why I like this projection system the best. Zips has Anthony Santander having pretty much a carbon copy of his 2023 season, and the Orioles will certainly take that. Last year, he had a 119 WRC+. Remember WRC+, a stat that basically encompasses everything a hitter can do, hit for power, hit for average, get on base. 100 is league average. Santander was at 119 last year, making him 19% better than a league average hitter. And he was a 2.6 war player, according to Fangraphs. The Zips projection, a 118 WRC plus and a 2.6 F4. They are essentially, again, expecting a repeat season. I will certainly take a repeat season from Anthony Santander. Then, of course, there's Cedric Mullins. Zips does project him to bounce back in 2024. And I honestly project him to bounce back even more. He was really good in April and May last year before that first groin injury. Then he had the second injury, and he was just not himself after those injuries last season. He talked about it. Uh, it was a good article from Jacob Calvin Meyer in the Baltimore Sun this week that Cedric Mullins, when he came back the second time from the groin injury late last year, he was so frustrated with himself because he was having some good swings and coming up with some big hits, but he wasn't consistent. And it took him until the offseason to realize that even though he had come off the IL, he still wasn't 100% and the groin was still bothering him. And now he feels like he is 100%. I think we're going to see really good Mullins again. He had a 99 WRC plus last year, 1.8 F war. Zips projecting him for a 106 WRC plus, 3.3 war according to fan graphs. That is much more Cedric Mullins-like. I honestly think he'll be better than that. Maybe not 2021, you know, 30-30 season Cedric Mullins, but we'll see closer to what we saw those first two months last year. And then despite the roller coaster nature of this player, Austin Hayes is going to be penciled into this roster no matter what. Not really sure what his role will be throughout the year, but it was an all-star season for Hayes last year, at least in the first half. And then in the second half, he fell off once again, but it was a 112 WRC+. plus. It was a 2.2 war. And the Zips projections basically project a similar season. Now, who knows if it'll be the roller coaster like it usually is, or it'll be a more steadying presence. They project a 110 WRC plus and a 2.3 war. But here's the thing with that for Austin Hayes. If he has the similar season in total, but it's more of a consistent production throughout the year, I think I'd rather take that than what we've seen from Hayes the last two years, which is all-star level first half, kind of abysmal second half. I'd rather see a consistent version to get to this endpoint. Hopefully that is what we see from Hayes. But of course, Santander is going to have an everyday role, right field, DH, first base. Cedric Mullins will have an everyday role. He'll sit against some lefties, but he'll play most days in center field. And then Austin Hayes at least will start the year being the left fielder. That spot could be taken from him, but he's going to be a starter to begin the year. So essentially, if we're saying Jorge Mateo can fill out as a fifth outfielder utility guy, that leaves one outfield spot, one hitter spot left on this roster. 
There's a lot of options that we're going to get into. But right now, I'm going to project it to go to Heston Kerstad. I was just so impressed by what we saw from Kerstad. Even in that small sample size coming up to the big leagues last September, but but also before that, what he did in Bowie and what he did in Norfolk. Now, last year, he only had 33 plate appearances at the big league level and a 104 WRC+. It was a small sample size, and it's not like he completely lit the world on fire. But some of the deeper numbers that we saw from Heston Kerstad, and we'll get into this, were simply outstanding. The batted ball numbers in AAA and in the big leagues. And Zips is not projecting him to be an everyday player, but they are projecting him to be a contributor for the Orioles. Unfortunately, they're not projecting him to have a huge, huge bat. Zips projecting Kerstad for 224 plate appearances. That's a kind of a platoon level player. A 98 WRC plus and a .3 F4. I think the bat will be better than that, certainly for Heston Kerstad, but we shall see. And it was really good in AAA last year. Hit 298, 371 on base, 498 slugging, had 10 home runs, a 116 WRC plus in AAA for Kerstad. Like, there's just so much power from the left side of the plate. The bat-to-ball skills are getting better. The exit velocities are insane. And I know there's questions about the defense, but I think he can stick in a corner outfield, you know, in left field in other parks, in right field at Camden Yards enough and play first base, and he'll DH some to just be a force on this roster. And it's something the O's roster has not had a lot of. And and Ryan O'Hearn did it at times last year. And Gunnar Henderson kind of fits the mold, but he's more of a superstar than like fitting a role on a team. The Orioles haven't had the lefty matcher for the short porch in right field in a while. Kerstad can truly be that kind of guy on this team. And I just want to see him in the lineup. Now I get that holding Kasten Kerstad has its drawbacks instead of picking another player. And that's what we're going to get to coming up next. There are a lot of other outfielders competing for that final spot, and they bring different things to the table than Kerstad does. So we'll kind of give out the arguments for all of them and try to decide why I went with Kerstad for that final Orioles outfield spot. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by Backblaze. Backblaze makes backing up and accessing your data astonishingly easy. It's got unlimited cloud backup for Macs, PCs, and businesses for just $99 per year. You can protect all the data on your machines automatically, and you can access your backed up data from anywhere in the world using the web app on iOS or Android. It's over 55 billion files already have been restored for customers. So visit backblaze.com slash locked on MLB so you kn- they know where you came from and you continue to support the show. It's been recommended by the New York Times, LifeWire, Tom's Guide, 9to5Mac, me, and more. So receive a fully featured no-risk free trial at backblaze.com slash locked on MLB. Go there, play with it, and start protecting yourself from potential bad times. Start today at backblaze.com slash locked on MLB. So it is our Orioles outfield preview episode. And I just gave out the four players I'm projecting to make it in the outfield for the Orioles. Anthony Santander, Cedric Mullins, Austin Hayes, and Heston Kerstad. And the reason why I'm only going with the four outfielders is because we're assuming the Orioles keep, you know, the nine infielders, the two catchers and, and the seven truer infielders. 
with one of them being Jorge Mateo to be the super utility. I think he's going to show enough defensively in the outfield this spring, plus the great shortstop defense and the ability to play second and a little bit of third if they need him as well, plus that speed, plus he can still hit against lefties. Brandon Hyde, just all the quotes, he just raves about how much he loves having Jorge Mateo on this roster. And if the O's are able to keep him as the pinch runner, but here's the thing, you know, there was always the conversation, yeah, he can change the game on the base pass, but can he get himself on the base paths? Or is he just a pinch runner? Is it worth it to carry just a pinch runner throughout the regular season? Well, if you can also add a, add a little bit of hitting against lefties, elite shortstop defense, but if he can add the ability to play the outfield and trust him out there, I think that levels Mateo up to, yes, it is definitely worth it to keep him on this roster. And I think that's going to happen here in spring training, which means he can be the quote-unquote fifth outfielder, which leaves four spots. And I think we're all in agreement. Santander, Mullins, and Hayes, those guys are locks. No matter what, they're on the opening day roster. They're getting a lot of at-bats. That leaves one spot at this point. And I would say there are five outfielders right now vying for that one spot. It's Heston Kerstad, it's Colton Kowser, it's Ryan McKenna, it's Kyle Stowers, and Sam Hilliard. All five of those guys are on the 40-man roster. All five of them have been in the big leagues in the past, four of the five with the Orioles, Hilliard with the Braves and the Rockies before coming over the O's as a waiver claim early in this offseason. And the Orioles could easily... I talked about this on the infield preview. They could easily go with the six infielders instead of the seven. That would open two outfield spots. And if they do that, I want to get that out of the way first. Because that's the situation where either they trade Ramon Arias for some pitching, or they just leave Jackson Holiday off the opening day roster and begin the year in AAA and don't really replace him. They just kind of leave it to six infielders. If that's the case, I think you split up this group of outfielders. I think there's one spot for either Stowers, Kerstad, or Kowser, and then there's another spot for either McKenna or Hilliard. And I say that because Stowers, Kowser, Kerstad, all good left-handed bats, but I don't trust any of them to play center field. Now, Kowser is the best center fielder out of the three. Stowers could do it in a pinch, and Kerstad you should not put out there, but I, my big knock on Kowser is I don't think he can play center field. I think he is a corner outfielder. So that's why they go in one category. And then in the other category, you want someone who can play center field and can be a fifth outfielder and can pinch run for you a little bit. And basically, it's do you want the righty and Ryan McKenna, who's been around and you know, but hasn't gotten much better? Or do you want the lefty and Sam Hilliard, who has a higher ceiling but has never played for the Orioles and you don't quite know yet? That's how I think they would split it up. But... I'm projecting that Mateo and Holiday and Arias are all in this roster. So there's only one spot. I'm taking Kerstad just because of the ceiling of the bat. 113.5 mile per hour max exit velocity, 10% barrel rate in AAA, really good numbers. 55% hard hit rate, 20% barrel rate, 92.3 mile per hour average exit velocity in the big leagues. Again, it was 33 plate appearances. That is an incredibly small sample size for Heston Kerstad. But the way he hit the baseball and basically continued doing what he was doing in AAA is just too intriguing to leave off the roster. Thinking about him just dumping balls into the flag court again and again in right field at Camden Yards, it's hard for me to take him off the roster. But there is a serious argument, if there's only one spot, against Heston Kerstad. Now, if there's those two spots I mentioned, 
I think it's easier. You could keep Kerstad and then you could keep, you know, McKenna, right? And then you have someone who you know can play all three outfield positions, even if you're not given something with the bat. Kerstad gives you a lot with the bat. But if, as I'm projecting, there's only going to be one of these spots for these five guys, there's reasons you can give to have it not be Heston Kerstad. Because, yes, you would assume that the Orioles are trusting Jorge Mateo in the outfield. But if you already have Ryan O'Hearn and Anthony Santander, who are kind of first base slash corner outfielders, but you maybe want to have a defensive replacement in for those guys at the end of the game if they're playing the outfield. If you add in Heston Kerstad, if he does start in the outfield, at least at this point, and what we saw from him late last year where the Orioles basically didn't play him in the field at all, he probably falls into that category where you kind of want a defensive replacement in for him in right field in the end of the game. And that means you have to be comfortable with probably either moving Austin Hayes over to right field at the end of the game and inserting Jorge Mateo in left, or I don't see Mateo playing a lot of right, but you put him out there and you leave Hayes in left. You have to be comfortable with Mateo as a defensive replacement in the outfield in all three slots. And I think that's going to happen, but there's a serious argument to be made that there's a difference between, yes, I think Mateo can play the outfield and that can be something that helps him be a super utility. And I don't know how much I'm, you know, if I'm trusting him way more than Santander or Kerstad out there with the game on the line. Those are two very different things, obviously. So an argument can be made for the other guys. An argument can be made for Colton Kowser. Because even if you don't think he's a center fielder, he is a very good defender in left and right field. So even if he's on the bench, easily can say, all right, you know, Santander's out there. All right, O'Hearn's out there. Kowser, go play right field in the ninth inning. And you feel fine with him out and right. He, he can play a good left field at Camden Yards. And... Although I don't believe he can play good center, he can give you innings in center field if you need it, which Heston Kerstad just cannot. And it's still a good bat for Kowser, despite the struggles at the end of last year. I think there's still a high ceiling there for Colton Kowser. Now, I think he could he could help him with a little bit more time in AAA to start the year and kind of reset and get the bat back under him before he gets back to the big leagues. But you could make that argument. You can make the Ryan McKenna argument, right? Like he's been here in this role for three years now. We know he can do it. He's a right-handed bat. Hasn't really hit lefties recently, but he can run. He can play all three defensive positions in the outfield well. He can even play a little second base if you need him to. And he's out of options. So, you know, it's easier to option Kerstad and Kowser down to AAA, whereas McKenna you'd have to put on waivers. My argument against that is, McKenna doesn't hit lefties anymore, which is the only reason you would put him in the lineup. So you're basically never going to start him. And although he plays good defense, the speed is not nearly what it is for some other guys. And quite frankly, Ryan McKenna at this point, yeah, if he doesn't make the opening day roster, you are going to have to put him on waivers. I don't think Ryan McKenna is getting claimed by another team. I mean, it's certainly possible. It's not like there's no chance it happens. I just think there's a good chance that the O's would DFA him. He would clear waivers come off the 40-man and stay in Norfolk as really good depth for the O's, and probably at some point they would need him this year in the big leagues. I just don't see a team clamoring for a Ryan McKenna who's gotten three years in the big leagues, can't really even hit lefties, can't hit at all, and it's just like you can find a, a player like Ryan McKenna, sadly, is kind of a dime a dozen at this point from what he's shown us. I don't see a team claiming him to give up a 40-man roster spot that close to opening day and basically guarantee him a spot on their opening day roster. I just don't see it. So I think the O's would be fine with DFAing him. 
There's an argument for Kyle Stowers, right? The batted ball data is still tremendous, and he was a good prospect, and he showed some flashes when he came up in 2022. There's still a chance there. But the flip side of Stowers is, I think he's in the same category as Kerstad and Kowser, and I just think he's behind both of them in prospect and big league player status at this point. And I think he needs to get his feet back under him a little bit. He had the shoulder injury last year. He was two for 30 in the big leagues before he got sent down. And he got hit in the face with a pitch in August last year. It was just a weird year for him in AAA Norfolk. He put up good stats mostly when he was out there. I still think he could be an option, but he's getting passed over a little bit. And maybe just a little more time in AAA, and then you go from there. And then you can also make the argument for Sam Hilliard. And I got to say... Maybe the second strongest argument is for Hilliard. It's probably for Kowser, but Hilliard at least a close third at this point. Like, again, can play all three outfield positions. He is a good defender at all three outfield positions. He's been in the big leagues for multiple years with the Rockies and the Braves. And the underlying quality of contact data, despite the fact that his MLB stats haven't been amazing in those stops, he was a good prospect when he was in Colorado. The Braves took a chance on him. That's a good team with a lot of good hitters. And all the contact data, he's got really good hard hit rates, really good exit velocities. Like the Orioles could find something there with Sam Hilliard. And also, he is just like Ryan McKenna, out of options, so he would have to be placed on waivers. But if the Orioles do like Sam Hilliard, I think there's a much higher chance that someone like Hilliard, a left-handed bat with a better track record of hitting, would get claimed by another team on waivers than a guy like McKenna would. So that's the argument there. But on the flip side, it's just... I don't know if your one concern with Cedric Mullins right now is his ability to hit lefties as a left-handed hitter. Do you really want your backup center fielder to also be a left-handed hitter? I think that's the big knock on Sam Hilliard. And also, you just picked him up as a waiver claim this offseason. It's not like he has like a track record with the Orioles or anything. I think he still could be good, but there's not as much feeling attached to it to make that DFA either. So I know that Kerstad could hamstring the roster a little bit in terms of the flexibility defensively in the outfield. But if you can trust Jorge Mateo to be out there, none of these guys has a higher ceiling than Heston Kerstad. And that's why he would be my guy to make this team in that final spot. But he is also still considered a prospect, as is Colton Kowser. But there are some other outfield prospects on the way for the Orioles. The question is, though, could any of them be factors? In 2024, we'll talk about that to finish off the pod coming up next. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is also brought to you by FanDuel. You can get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's $150 bucks just if your bet wins. And you can bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live same-game parlays, exclusive props, and more. Just visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and shoot your shot with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. So to finish things off here on our outfield preview episode, we will take a look at the prospects in the mix. Now, in terms of guys in spring training, we named everyone but one in the outfield group. The other guy is Daniel Johnson, a 28-year-old outfielder who the Orioles signed to a minor league deal with an invite to big league camp earlier this offseason. Johnson was a prospect at one point with Cleveland, actually had a, a couple of cups of coffee in the big leagues with the Guardians, didn't super work out. I believe he was with the national system last year in AAA. 
Daniel Johnson was just brought in to be like solid double A AA and triple A depth. He can play all three positions. He can run. He can hit a little bit. Like he's just depth for the O's. And it's nice to just have another body in camp. He's not, yeah, he's not making this team. Like even though he's in camp, I didn't even put him in the group with the other five guys vying for those outfield spots. He's just solid depth to have. But wanted to mention his name because again, although he's not on the 40 man, he is a non roster invite and he is in camp as are uh, the rest of those guys who are on the 40-man. But there are a few other prospects to mention that definitely are not in the opening day outfield mix. Like, none of these guys got a non-roster invite to big league spring training. But maybe at some point in 2024, at the very least in 2025, they could factor in because this Orioles outfield, here's the other thing to this conversation. This time next year, this Orioles outfield could look completely different. Anthony Santander is a free agent after this year. The Orioles may just let him walk. Cedric Mullins and Austin Hayes are both free agents after 2025. Hayes has been very vocal with the media, stories in the Baltimore Sun and the Baltimore Banner over the last few weeks about how Hayes has told his agent, has told the Orioles, has said it publicly, he wants to sign an extension in Baltimore. He's still got two seasons left, but if the O's don't see Hayes or Mullins as part of the future as extension candidates, they could easily trade one of the two this time next offseason keep one for the final year and maybe trade the other so two-thirds of your starting outfield could look different next year and Kowser could step in and Kerstad could step in Stowers could step in but you have these other options coming up the pipeline as well and one is Dylan Beavers who just baseball ranked as the number nine prospect in the Orioles system he was a second round pick a couple of years ago left-handed hitting outfielder out of Cal and it's been an interesting time for Beavers. He got up to double A last year and he mashed 157 plate appearances in Bowie to end the season, hit 321 with a 150 WRC plus. And it's been an interesting ride for Beavers who had this really weird swing at Cal, but all the data was incredible on him. He was a great defender in the outfield as well. Like people were really excited about him. They were just like a team might have to fix his swing. And the Orioles tried it for a while. He was going through a lot of stuff and there were some struggles in Delmarva and in Aberdeen for Beavers when he was going through that. But I think the reporting around it is at some point last year, Beavers just said, you know what, let me do my own thing. And he got back to mashing. And so I think heading into 2024, it's just going to be, and there'll still be small tweaks to the swing from the Orioles, but they might be done with like the full swing overhaul they were trying for Dylan Beavers and instead just kind of letting him loose. He'll most likely start the year in the outfield in double-A buoy and play every day. And, and we'll get to see. And again, I don't see him being a piece for 2024, but if the real Dylan Beavers with that swing continues to produce in 2025, he could be a piece for the O's. And that same goes for Judd Fabian, who was similarly a high draft pick a couple of years ago. Just Baseball has him as the number 14th ranked prospect in the Orioles system. He, a right-handed hitting outfielder out of Florida, who has some big power, is fantastic defensively, not just in the corners, but is a fantastic defensive center fielder with an absolute rocket, a cannon for an arm as well. I mean... His floor as a player is like a fourth outfielder in the big leagues, I think. That's how good he is defensively, and he's got power, too. Like, he'll, he'll find a spot in the big leagues at some point. But it was a struggle for him in AA Bowie last year. 288 plate appearances, hit just 176. He did hit 15 homers, and it ended up with a 98 WRC plus because of all the power. But he had a 38% strikeout rate in AA. The worst strikeout rate in the big leagues last year, I believe, was right around 38%. Like, that is not good at all. And that's happening against double-A pitching. Just think about what will happen against triple-A and big league pitching. So he's still got to get through those strikeout issues, but the power is great. The defense is great. Same with Beavers. He will most likely start the year back in double-A Bowie. The two of them will probably play center field for Fabian, right field for Beavers most nights. 
in Bowie to start the year. And same with Beavers. I think he climbs his way up to AAA Norfolk at some point this year, just probably doesn't get to the bigs. But again, if he can cut down the strikeouts, even just from 38 to maybe 28%, that is much more playable with the power with the defense and could be an option taking over for Cedric Mullins in 2025. But of course, there's also Enrique Bradfield Jr., who was the Orioles' first-round pick out of Vanderbilt last year. Incredible speed, unbelievable defense in center field. The hit tool is great. He walks, he gets on base. He just doesn't hit for any power right now, and the O's are trying to work on that with Bradfield. That's always been the player he's been in college. But he could be potentially the the, the replacement for Mullins in 2026 or whatever it may be. But those are just some names to know. Again, I don't think anyone from this prospect group is going to be in the big leagues this year. There are some other names, right? John Rhodes, more of a utility guy who can play the outfield. Billy Cook, who had some really good stretches last year in Bowie. He'll probably end up in Norfolk this year. Shane Fontana probably be back in Norfolk. And Hudson Haskin, a little bit of a surprise omission from the non-roster invites. He'll most likely be in the outfield for the Tides this year, but dealt with multiple different injury issues last year, so probably more of just making sure he is healthy in Norfolk this season. But all those guys you'll see in AAA or AA and could be depth options if the Orioles really needed them. But think about it. like You'll probably have Billy Cook, Fontana, and Haskin all in AAA to start the year. But you will also potentially have Kowser down there, Stowers down there, and McKenna all down there as well. So, you know, they're going to get the at-bats, or at least Stowers and Kowser will, maybe over a guy like a Shane Fontana or even a Hudson Haskin, depending on how the Orioles feel about him. So that'll be something to watch as well in that AAA outfield. It's just the group I talked about before, that group of five, the Cursed Dad, Kowser, McKenna, Stowers, and Hilliard. That's going to be a fight. That might be the most interesting roster battle in camp. A, can Jorge Mateo play the outfield? And B, if he can, who can win that final spot? What are the O's value? Do they value the bat of Kerstad? Do they value more of the defense of the guys like Hilliard or McKenna? Do they value the versatility of a guy like Kowser? Value the, just the raw power of Kyle Stowers? Like, it's going to be fun to watch. And it kind of kicks off for us to watch tomorrow. Orioles' first spring training game is tomorrow. And, uh, kind of cool that the ace who's certainly going to be starting opening day is also going to take the bump on saturday for the orioles brandon hyde on thursday naming corbin burns as the orioles starter for their grapefruit league opener on saturday against the red sox and even better i believe you can watch this game on tv yes you can it's one of the seven televised masson games this spring garrett whitlock goes for the red sox corbin burns goes for the orioles and we are here. Spring training games have started. The Orioles also play against the Pirates at 1 o'clock on Sunday. It is a 1 o'clock game on Saturday as well. That Pirates game not being broadcast by Masson, but if you do potentially have MLB TV and other ways to watch, Sportsnet Pittsburgh is broadcasting that one. So the O's will have two broadcast spring training games this weekend. What that means is when I'm back on Monday... Got some live baseball to talk about. Now, we're not going to dive into the games like they're regular season games, but we'll probably have the five things for you to know, some things to watch, some guys who stood out in the first two spring games of the year. That's coming up when I return on Monday's episode. But until then, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked on Orioles channel on YouTube. Leave a five-star rating and a review wherever you listen. And this has been the Locked on Orioles podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team, every day.